Welcome to HOWC Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. Yes, amen. If you have your Bibles, let's go to the book of Numbers, the Old Testament. The book of Numbers, the 14th chapter. I'm going to be coming out of this passage as my main text, and I would like to read just a few verses toward the end. We'll recap some for context. But as we open the word and the message at the title of the message this morning, we want us to read through these verses first. Verse 23. Numbers chapter 14, verse 23. Everybody have a say amen. It says, Surely they shall not see the land which I swore unto their fathers, neither shall any of them that provoked me see it. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit, but my servant Caleb, however, unlike the previous, this guy has another spirit and hath followed me fully. Him, I will bring into the land whereinto he went and his seed shall possess it. Pray with me and for me. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this word. It's yours, it's not mine. Anoint it, God. Let not any attempted intellect or man wisdom of man get in the way of your anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. Anoint my lips to speak and our ears to hear what you are saying to the church. Simply said, Lord, have your way in this place. We are your people, the sheep of your pasture. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of the message this morning is called The Spirit of Caleb. The Spirit of Caleb. Now, some of y'all might have heard some of the sermons the Lord had given me through Revelation of people and characters in Scripture. I had been given by the Holy Spirit uh, messages titled The Spirit of Blank. Fill it in. I did one, uh, y'all have very infamously heard the spirit of Jezebel, right? Well, obviously that's not the good spirit. Uh, God, God gave me one on the spirit of Judas. Equally, not so good. But the spirit of Caleb. How many of y'all know that we are filled with his spirit? And we just read, because he had, Caleb, another spirit. Different than the ones previous, which he said, they shall not see the land which I swore to their fathers. Neither shall any of them that provoked me see it, but my servant, Caleb. The spirit of Caleb, I want us to dissect that and what we're saying. When we say the spirit of, we're not talking about necessarily the entity that is the being that is apart from their physical frame that will either live eternally in hell or eternally in heaven, depending on their spiritual condition at death, right? But the spirit, I'm talking about their character, their nature. When we say things like Pastor Glenn says the darnest things, well, he has a spirit of humor. I do too. (laughs) Without question, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm a very animated, lively person, and I love that. Uh, That's who I am. The spirit of Daniel Wright is going to be one that's going to be joyful, silly at times, serious when it needs to be. But everyone in this place, you have a spirit. You have, and thank you, sweetheart, character. The character of Allison's happy-go-lucky, joyful, faith in Jesus, not ashamed. 
Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Yes. And that is a good spirit or character, you might say, to have. Amen. So today, when I was, uh, I, well, today, today we want to talk about the spirit of Caleb because God not only, not only talking about his character and what he was known for, but it literally says Caleb had another spirit compared to anyone else in the camp. Now we're talking about Israel, okay? They're coming out of the wilderness. There's the uh, River Jordan to be crossed over, and they're coming into promise. We're going to read a little bit of context. So we know that Caleb's the good guy, right? Let me try that again. We know that Caleb's the good guy, right? Because God not only endorsed him, but specifically said he's going to enter in, but nobody else will. Wow. And taking account that it was a promise, not just to Caleb, but, and there, but it was to their fathers, which they, as well as you know, did not enter into promise. Promise is God's part. But honey, if you ain't signing a contract and you ain't abiding by your end of the deal, the terms and conditions don't meet, it don't count. God's faithful. God will see to it to the end. On his end of the bargain, from death to life, if he has saved you, he will keep you, he will hold you. But honey, the moment you see a divorce attorney with Jesus, that's different. I do not question the faithfulness of God, nor does anyone in this room. God's faithfulness is not in question. It's us. Are you a John or a Judas? The promise was to all 12. Peter went halfway, but at least he repented. I'm just going to be bold, church. We need people in this end of days that will have the spirit of faithfulness and love for our God. That's not content with just a religious sermon or a religious experience. But as it said of the two, what did we read? That he had another spirit. He chose something different than everybody else. He was willing to go against the grain. He stick, stuck out like a sore thumb. And secondly, he followed God partially. Ah, just got to make sure we're awake and paying attention. It sounds terrible coming from the pulpit, but I want to, I'm testing y'all. What does it say? Fully. 110%. Come on, somebody. So, verse 18. Of the same thing, I want to rewind just for context. Now watch this. It says, The Lord is long-suffering and great in mercy, forgiving iniquity and the transgressions. Hallelujah. Everybody shout amen. amen. I don't know about y'all, but I thank God his mercy is new. Amen. Hallelujah. Every single morning. Now, I didn't say it this time because, it, like I said, feel kind of weird, but you, know, you got to test the, the, the word, right, amen. Got to test the people to know what we're talking about. His mercy is new every morning. What did we just read? He forgives iniquity. He is patient, long-suffering, great in mercy, and by no means watch, clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. In other words, church, I want to let y'all know the little simple theology before I go any further. A man commits a crime. He gets arrested. He goes to prison. There's a court date set. He's got to see a judge. He has to stand before a jury and face accusers. My golly, my God can forgive from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, can redeem him from the wrath of hell and destruction. But how many of y'all know there are consequences for our sin? 
You see, no doubt our God could do anything. He can move the mountain. There, could, there has been many options and opportunities and testimonies of God's favor where the judge said we were just walking. We were letting the case go. But God is not obligated to, to eliminate your consequence. But according to 1 John 1, 9, he is obligated to forgive you of your sin if you confess and repent. And thank God for it. In other words, what am I saying, church? If you get convicted of 25 years to life, but you're on your way to heaven, start a prison ministry and still love God regardless. He might eliminate it. He might minimize your sentence. God might grant you favor in the consequence of your action, church. But the point is, God can forgive you and heaven is the, is the goal. Whether we experience the consequences for our actions or we do not, we have to adhere to the reality that God does forgive your sin, but he may not remove the consequences of it. Amen? Hallelujah. Verse 19, pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of thy mercy, and thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word, but, everybody said but, the Lord says, as I truly live, all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, because all those men which have seen my glory and the miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened unto my voice. Church, he's saying that I have forgiven and I have given miracles and bounty and I have shown my wonderful work straight out of heaven from the clouds to the sand of the wilderness and provided for you and done all these things from Egypt till now. And yet, after all those things, they have not, verse 22, end says, they did not hearken to the voice of God. Now, I want to go quick and confess. I might not be moving around as much. I'm physically exhausted, but my heart is full. So, Brother Corey, you got an easier job this morning. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. That's right. A little easier for him. Last two Sundays, the tripod. Corey's just like, hallelujah. Plus, my shirt is too short. It don't stay tucked in, so I don't want to get too excited and and share uh, areas. Hallelujah. Praise God. So back to what I was saying. Amen, Mama Sue. Keep me in check. You got Pastor Glenn and me now. My goodness. Pray for him. <laughs> That's it. But I've always said, this is what I was trying to get at. I've always said this. Oh, but I tell you what, if I, was, if I saw the Red Sea split open and we just walk and then we go look over and then he causes it to crash and then drown all the Egyptians. If I was there when the pillar of fire came down from heaven and led the Israelites through the wilderness at night and the pillar of cloud by day. If I saw manna fall from heaven, if I saw all these things. Oh, man, a lot of more people would serve God. When you hard-headed, we hard-headed. Can I get an amen? These people, both not just the Israelites, who God, they're worse because they knew the truth and they, they were God's people still, but he even mentioned Egypt and the miracles in which I did in Egypt. Saved and unsaved alike, God could send fire down from heaven, throw doves everywhere to feed every poor person. He could end world hunger right, right now. God can drop fire from heaven and all those wonderful things.
Why? Because self is a very powerful spirit. When you are on your way to hell and you are not saved and all you're doing is fulfilling the lust of what you want, when I think what I feel in self, 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 it doesn't matter what God does out there. You are stuck in here. Hear me, church. But what we see that God has given us in Numbers, a man by the name of Caleb was much different than everybody else, fulfilling the lust of their flesh. While everyone in Egypt were posting on TikTok self-love, Caleb was like, God love, God love. Not me, but him. A whole nother spirit. Caleb was one that was willing to stand against the grain and say, look, y'all, guys, I know we're grasshoppers in the sight of the giants in this land, but we can take the land. Come on, now, if y'all know the story. Everybody in the camp said, we can't take this land. We will be destroyed. Caleb and Joshua said, hold up. Hold up. Hold the phone. I don't know who y'all been listening to. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Joshua said, Caleb said, we're going to take this land because God is with us. If God be for us, who can be against us, church? We have to realize the God that we serve, whether he spits the fire from the clouds or he whispers in your heart, God is on your side and you can take the land. Jeez. Yes, Lord. That's faith. Whew. Caleb was willing to look different, act different. And people call him names. He was willing to do whatever. He was one of the, the only one as we read. And again, verse it says, I've done, God said, look, I can forgive, but I want to make a point to you that everything that I've done for them since Egypt until now, they still are not obeying my word. Verse 23, as we read, surely they shall not see the land. Do you understand? They lost the promise, not because God was unfaithful, but because they were unfaithful. Do you understand that they lost the promise simply because they did not hearken into the voice of God? And I'll also add this. Worse, if you notice, and you read the entire chapter, I don't have this in my notes, but in study, for the sake of time, I try to condense it. But as your homework, go and watch this too. Not only did they not listen to God's voice, but they willfully, outwardly, unapologetically complained. Oh, God, bring us provision. We're starving. Moses, you just led us out of Egypt just to die in this wilderness. Y'all remember the sermon not long ago? I guess you might call this part two. Corey, maybe you are going to get a little experience. But isn't that amazing that of all the things that we call out, God provide, oh please, Lord, I need, I need. But sometimes his provision comes in the form of a Toyota Camry with a busted window and an $800 rent to an old house that might have some issues. Can I get an amen? So all of us at the time, we're, we're dying. Oh, God, we love you. We trust you. Bring provision. 
Is that is that organic? Is that is that a what do they call it? Is that a gluten free God? Isn't that the American church? Oh, we want his provision. Oh, we want God to perform miracle signs and wonder and move in God. But he's going to do it his way. The spirit of Caleb says, oh, that's all right. I, I don't care. He, if, I get, if I'm allergic to gluten, he's going to heal me. And even if he don't, even if he don't, I'm happy. When it says, what verse was uh, it, on that? I don't remember. Uh, another spirit. Pull that one up. 24, I think. Caleb was said by God to have another spirit. That means literally opposite, yang to yang, black to white, night to day, Israel, Caleb. Hey, guys, I love Jesus. So if the Israelites went left, Caleb went right. Everything. The spirit means his entire being, his whole which was the same Hebrew and Greek, no Hebrew word in the Tanakh that 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 uh that said to love the Lord thy God. It says with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. That word is the same word that emphasizes character and spirit. That says there's not an ounce of you, brother Myers, that didn't apply to it. It was every follicle of your hair loved God fully. It says he he ha followed God halfway fully. 75%, 1,000%, wholeheartedly. His whole spirit was different. So the spirit of Caleb is one that was okay to be bullied in school. The spirit of Caleb says, I don't care what you say or do to me, but I love Jesus, and this is what he provided. Well, if God says, all right, son, here's a plate of olives. Now, survive. Y'all know where I stand. A spirit of Caleb would say, brother, Thank you, Lord. I'm going to enjoy my olives. <laughs> if you know my story, y'all know my story. I joke with my wife. I said, baby, look, when the zombie apocalypse hits and we're all running for our lives, I'll eat some olives. But right now I got choices, okay? <laughs> it may be like Burger King, have it your way. But in God's word, you don't have it your way, amen? Caleb fully followed after God. So whatever God dropped from heaven, it didn't matter. Whatever God provided, church, the point was Israel was complaining and that Caleb was content. Hmm. Let me tell you, church, that's the problem with modern American Christianity is they're so spoiled. Every sermon's got to be to fluff them up. They don't want no conviction of sin. In fact, the only sin the modern church recognizes is people who judge. That's the only sin they know of. Because they'll look in the mirror and they'll see every part of facet of indulgence of their fleshly desires and see an angel and holy. And, but the moment someone calls them out on it, you're, you're not supposed to do that. You're a Christian. The American church, if you were, if they were honest, the American church would open Exodus 20 and the only thing it would say was don't judge people. If the American church was honest, that's the only sin they recognize. The moment you say, you know what, that's probably not a good, you're judging. The Bible says not to judge. Caleb was different. It says Caleb fully, fully. I'm going to keep saying it fully fully served God, fully followed after God. 
God said, this is a man who is content and he fully serves me. Therefore, let all the people die in the wilderness. But Joshua and Caleb, it's all going to be to you. Let me tell you, church, God's not afraid to start over. Let me tell you, me and, me and Jacob use te technological terms as Jesus used parables to fishermen. Well, we use technical terms with computers. God's not afraid to reboot. He'll turn it off and turn it back on again. He did it with Noah. He did it with Joshua and Caleb. Ah, uh, and he's, he did it with a uh, lot in his kids. Come on now. He'll do it. He's not afraid. The question is, are you going to be under those, the, the, the pillar of fire? Are you going to be under the, 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 the stone, the fire and brimstone? Or are you going to be leaving the, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah? The spirit of Caleb follows God fully. Caleb, listen, was known for faith while in the, in the promise of God because he was the one that said, we can take the land. Even if everybody else says that is A, God said is B, it's going to be B. That's Caleb. Number two, and finally, Caleb was known for this. Contentment in the position towards promise while in the wilderness. Mm, let me tell you, that, that, that's a good word right there. When God brings his promise to you, the process is firstly to strip you of yourself in the wilderness to make you realize you can't do it alone apart from God. God has to give you everything. He'll pull water out of a rock, right? He'll bring meat straight from heaven. He'll strip you of yourself to have you trust in him. And then when you get into promise, it ain't over yet. You still have to trust him to remove the giants out of your land. You still have to trust God. So faith, essentially one and two, Caleb was known for faith in God, wholly, fully trusting in God, and two, com contentment in the position God has placed in him. Being saved, listen, will bring you from complaining to contentment. And I'll be the first to tell you this, guys. I'm not one to tell you that I don't complain or haven't complained. God is stripping that out of me. That's why he took me out of a big city called Bad Rouge and brought me down to pastor in Bethlehem, so to speak. We lived in the trailer for years. My wife and I got married. There's a lot of things God had to strip me of what I wanted, what I thought, what I feel, to trust him for the things that he gave me. Amen. So that's what God will do. God will provide for you, my brothers and sisters. But if he, if you, if you need provision, you need a car, when that Toyota Camry comes, you know what I'm talking about, Brother Corey. <laughs> Say thank you, Jesus. It might be hanging on by its last tire, but I got a ride. He provided. God owns the cattle on the thousand hills. American church will tell you that God will give you the Ferraris and all these things, but he won't. That's not the MO of God. In fact, he'll either teach you to walk or he'll give you the Toyota Camry on one wheel. Right? Amen. That's who our God is. Because he doesn't want you to fall in love with material possessions. He doesn't want you to be leaning upon the, the excess of the indulgence of the flesh and materialism that will destroy you. Hear me. 
When God saves you and delivers you, he will, he will strip the complaining out of you and teach you contentment. Complaining. Because watch this. You know what? The danger of complaining. We're talking about the spirit of Caleb, but now we're talking about the contrast, the Israelites who did not have that same spirit of contentment. Right? Watch. People who complain, complaining breeds doubt. Listen to me. I'm going to give you a little ripple effect here. People who complain, they're in a habitual lifestyle of complaining. It breeds doubt because it's never good enough. Then they're doubting God's provision. But wait, well, then why would you do that, God? Because what I really need is A, but God's like, you think you do, but you don't. I'm giving you B because you, you're, you're a little too spoiled. Complaining will breed doubt. But the spirit of Caleb is contentment. And it breeds faith. How does that breed faith? Because when that manna falls from heaven while everyone else is complaining about it being not gluten-free or organic or whatever their complaints were, it wasn't good enough, God then complaining to God for that provision. When contentment says, Yes, God, I'm good. That's faith because it means that I trust God's provision. That I use the example, maybe it's not gluten-free and I'm allergic to gluten. When I eat it, God will take care of me. He'll either heal me, pay the hospital bill, or I'll die and I'll go to heaven. Either way, three options, I'm happy. Does that make sense? Whatever that might be, you understand that God's provision historically, the MO of God will never be bright and shiny and fast and flashy and the best of the best of the best. It'll always come. Even himself was laid in a feeding trough. And we say a manger and we have the pictures and we know in Christmas we see all those little imageries. But the king of the world was laid into a wooden place where cow spit licked up the elements of food. Agriculture, we're talking about cattle feed was laid in that place and Christ was laid on cattle feed. Think of that. Whether that was hay or granule or whatever they had, it was in a busted barn. And the American church has the nerve to be just like those spoiled Israelites who wanted more than manna. In fact, you might know this already, but let me go ahead and for those who don't, the word manna is a, is a phrase that means, what is it? Now, the Lord revealed this to me because you might read that and think, well, what is that? You know what I think it was? It was more like, what is this? <laughs> see the difference. Do y'all, did y'all see the two, A and B? did y'all see that difference? Because we might just be curious and have no idea what it is. But I believe when they said manna, manna? In an ungrateful, complaining attitude. It was their disobedience to God while complaining that God says, you know what? You failed the test. Caleb, you honored me fully. You obeyed my word. Take the land. If God spared not his son, but gave himself ransom for us, how much more shall he give us all things? If God spared not Moses, who, who sacrificed and toiled for 80 years from birth to life through revelation and time in the wilderness and then going to space Pharaoh and telling them all the things that Moses did and he disobeyed God one time. He struck the rock when God told him to speak it. What happened? 
also couldn't enter promise. The same man who begged God in his mercy, don't, don't wipe these Israelites out, heal me instead. Someone as great of a man as Moses himself, and we have the nerve, listen, the American church has the nerve to expect more out of God than what he gave us. And Moses, one act of disobedience, God said, that's it, you're not going to go to the promised land. We need to take God seriously, church. We need to take our relationship with God seriously. We need to stop sugarcoating the, the, the MO and character of God as just some fluffy cloud with everything's good, uh, do what you want, I love you, I died on the cross, come on in. This hippie Jesus is bringing people to hell. I'm going to say that again because that might be controversial and shocking, but let me tell you something. This unbiblical, strictly hippie Jesus where everything is good was sending people to hell. Because that hippie Jesus theology does not teach sacrifice, does not teach holiness, repentance. It's all about, oh, thank you, God. High five. I accept Jesus. I said the prayer. We're all good. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Hebrews chapter 11. Amen? The spirit of Caleb, we're talking about, listen, a lifestyle of indulgence will develop a habit of complaining. So again, I'm going backwards, right? So complaining will breed doubt. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? Contentment will breed faith. The just shall walk by. So when you learn to be content, you will breed faith. And a lifestyle, how do you, how do you breed contentment? See, the, the lineage of genealogy is this, a sacrifice, of, a, a lifestyle of sacrifice will develop a habit of being content. Because when you're constantly sacrificing everything you want, you learn to, that everything is good. When my wife gets off a fast, I could hand her a leather shoe that's rotting with flies around it. If she chews on my leather shoe, it's good because she's been on a fast for 40 days. You feel me? Can I get an amen? amen? A lifestyle of sacrifice will breed contentment because you're used to not getting what you want. And when you're used to that, you trust God all the way. Therefore, it breeds faith. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That a lifestyle of sacrifice will breed contentment, and contentment will breed faith. In that order. Amen? <laughs> Amen. Hallelujah. So in contrast, let's talk about the opposite, which would be the, the second layer to the other bad part, which would be a lifestyle of indulgence will develop a habit of complaining. People who indulge regularly without consideration of others, without considering the cost, without any at all. When you grab and go, it's mine, I want now. That lifestyle will breed a spirit of complaining because the moment you don't get it your way, I didn't order that waiter. It's, it's, it's raw. Bring it back. Or, you know, you're used to getting it your way. When I was a kid, my daddy had to tell me no just for the sake of telling me no to teach me not to be a spoiled, selfish brat. It might, he might have had the money. 
There would have been no other reason. I, I, I'm not a diabetic. I could take the candy bar. It would have been fine. But dad sometimes just had to tell me no because he didn't want to spoil himself to brat. I said it again. I'll, I'll keep saying it. To teach you to live sacrificially will breed contentment. To teach you to indulge will breed complaining. We'll take it even younger. I mean, how many uh, babies love broccoli? Carrots. Eat your carrots, right? Whatever that might be, most of them, they don't. Because there's as a child, the Bible says that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, Proverbs teaches us. So God has to work through us in the biological sense of being a child and in the spiritual sense of being a child. As we get saved, we, we surrender to Him daily, and God has to crucify that flesh. And sometimes God will purposely, in fact, most of the time, if not all the time, give you the Toyota Camry on one wheel to teach you contentment. It's too quiet in this church, boy. I'll tell you what. Woo! Come on now. All right. First Timothy chapter 6. Let's turn there. We're going to look at the fifth verse, or a few verses right there. We're coming to a close. But I want you all to see this. First Timothy chapter 6. Jesus, Jesus, teach us contentment, Lord, and faith. First Timothy chapter six, verse five. Everybody have a say, Amen. All right, Paul is t- is telling Timothy, a young pastor, perverse disputings of men and corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. More, more, more. Money cometh, right? That's what we hear from some televangelists. Supposing that gain is godliness. Isn't that true of Total Babylonian Network? I'm a Trinity, but I'm sorry. What, TBN? Uh, just being honest, guys. My mom, listen, God rest her soul, 2011 she passed, but for years was fed those lies about materialism being godliness. Literally, it says it in your Bible, God knew. God knew what he was doing. He was preparing for a time in the 90s and early 2000s for a televangelist to preach money from the pulpit. Supposing that gain is godliness. Church, that's not contentment. That's not the spirit of Caleb. When a televangelist tells you to specifically send me $1,000, no, no, how about this? How about if God tells you to give, give? In other words, I'm just telling you to be obedient. If he don't tell you to give, don't give. Is that wrong? Is that you see, see what I'm saying? But my mom would send money and checks. And she was, I, I, I've seen it firsthand. Hearing people saying, well, I don't have a lot of money. Now, maybe God is doing that. Listen, there's a woman in the scripture that had to give all the, her last meal to the prophet. There was something biblical about that. But I'm talking about wolves in sheep's clothing that are pulling money out of the pockets of the sheep and fleecing them, as Ezekiel talks about, much different. This is still part of that message. The spirit of Caleb. Remember Joshua and Caleb? He was like the vice president, because we all know about Joshua. We do. That's for me and my house, Sister Priscilla. Woo! Joshua, take on the land. Caleb was doing a good job, too. 
He learned contentment. He didn't complain. He was full of faith. It says he was wholly, fully, totally surrendered to God. Godliness with what? Is great gain. Not money. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into the world, and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. So when people put their money in the caskets and all those things, I'm sorry to tell y'all, and I don't mean to be rude, but this is what it tells us. They can't take it with them. Okay? All right, verse 8, I'll leave that. I'll finish on that one. And having food and raiment, let us therewith be a spirit of Caleb. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now it says the love of money, verse 10, is the root of all evil. Now Jesus said, notice he didn't say it is impossible for a rich man to enter into heaven. He said it is very difficult, right? I'll give you all an example of a rich man who served God, Job. Very rich, the the richest in all the land of that time. Serve God. It's not impossible, church. But it is impossible if the love is money and not God. Y'all caught that? It is impossible if your love is money and not God himself, who is the provider who gave you the money to do those things. Amen? Hallelujah. But thou, verse 11, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life whereunto thou art called, and thou hast professed a good profession before many witnesses. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to close on that one. And as you're going to Hebrews 13, again, we're talking about contentment, which is uh, essentially what the spirit of Caleb represents for our Old Testament books. A man who possessed the promise of God that God was faithful to do, but Caleb was also faithful to to maintain it. Hebrews 13, 5 through 6, we're going to read that, but on the screen, uh, we've got uh, Jaden, he's going to pull up Philippians 4, 11. It says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, and let's read this together, in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content, no matter where you are. Amen. Can I say, I'm going to say something a little bold because I, I we, we can, oh, ooh, that's a good word. Without that, God will give it to you to carry. How about if you're homeless? If a man or woman, can find themselves sleeping under a bridge and saying, God, as long as I have you. The gates of heaven will be open before he takes his last breath. That is a man or woman of God. And yet the American church can. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And y'all notice what that verse is? Where did that come from? That was actually a quote. It was quoted in Hebrews, but where was the original verse? Joshua. Caleb's homeboy. 
These men knew contentment. It says, be content in all things that you have, for I will never leave thee nor forsake. God will never leave you or forsake you. So that we might boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The fact that God will always be with you so long as you are content and faithful to him fully, you're not divorcing him. God never looks at the divorce attorney. That's us, right? But saying that, the reason we can say, oh, Sister Elizabeth, the Lord is my helper. And I will not fear what man can do to me because he never left me. As quirky as Pastor Daniel can be and do some really stupid things because he's just that person. My wife will never leave me or forsake me because she loves me. Right? That means that when I'm about to do something really stupid, Pastor, and sometimes in public, I know it'll be okay because she ain't leaving me. See? Ten years, August 17th of this year, nine and a qu three quarters or whatever. There's a history church. Listen, what is this talking about with contentment? God loves you. He's with you. He's not leaving you. And you can boldly say because of his faithfulness. But now let's consider your faithfulness. Here it comes. Y'all ready? Can God say? Sister, brother's always with me. They will never leave me nor forsake me. They've proven themselves. Can God say that about us? Y'all might say, what are you talking about? That's not in the scripture. Oh, yeah? You want to try me? Job chapter 1. Have you considered my servant? You know why he said that? What else did he tell the devil? What, what, did, what did God tell the devil? He won't fail. He will always be with me. Can God say that about us? And if he can't, today is a good day to repent and learn to be content and not spoiled. To learn to be faithful, no matter what he gives or doesn't give, that you will never leave or forsake you. Thank you for joining us today. This program was brought to you by HOWC Media Ministries. For more messages like this or information about our ministry, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.